Hey guys, welcome back. You're listening to The DM with Audrey Brienne and Tyree. I am Audrey Brienne. And I'm Tyree. For our season two opener, we have costume designer Mitchell Travers joining us. Mitchell has worked on films such as Ocean's 8, Hustlers, Late Night, and the very highly anticipated In the Heights. On today's episode, we will be discussing the film Late Night and having a Q&A with Mitchell himself. So on today's episode, we will be discussing the film Late Night and having a Q&A with Mitchell Travers himself. Hi, Mitchell. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Sure. My name is Mitchell Travers. I'm a costume designer. I do work in mostly film. I've done some television, which I enjoy. I actually got my start in theater, which I love and can't wait until we get back to that. I work in New York, L.A., Vancouver, pretty much wherever the interesting job takes me. And I really love what I do. That's great. So I'm going to get right into the film Late Night. Late Night was directed by Nisha Gonitra. And Nisha is responsible for three episodes of Transparent. She also won a Golden Globe for one of the episodes. The costume designer was Mitchell Travers. Woo-woo! Yes. <laughs> And the makeup artist was Milargos Medina Sederna, and she is known for television shows like The Godfather of Harlem and Evil. Late Night was released on June 7th, 2019, and it stars Emma Thompson as Catherine Newberry. Catherine is an acclaimed late night talk show host with an extensive career in comedy, but her show ratings have seen a steady decline over the past decade. The network's president, Carolyn tells Catherine to fix up her show or she will be replaced. In an attempt to revamp the show, Catherine has Molly Patel, played by Mindy Kaling, hired as one of her staff writers, mainly on the basis that she's an Indian American woman and all of the remaining writers are white men. And so we're going to get right into characterization. Dame Emma Thompson as Catherine Newberry. She plays an acclaimed and legendary late night talk show host um, and comedian from the UK. She is host of the fictional Tonight with Catherine Newberry, a popular show in the States. One really interesting fact is that she only wears one dress in the film, and it's at the very beginning when she's accepting an award. And that is the first and last time you will see <laughs> Miss Newberry in a skirt of any kind because the rest of the movie, she's mostly in like suited pieces, a lot of layered separates. Some of the featured designers in the film actually include Stella McCartney, Brandon Maxwell, Prada, and Armani. Also wanted to note that the late night talk show host Graham Norton was a source of inspiration and that Mitchell had to draw from there not being like women in this very male dominated industry. And that segues into my first question for you, Mitchell, is what kind of suit did you favor for Catherine's character? and why? Well, you absolutely nailed it. I mean, for me, the the work on the movie was completely a study in suiting, mm-hmm. women's suiting. As you mentioned, when I, you know, with any film, when you start the research process, you start to look towards real life examples or, you know, various historical figures, people that you can turn to, to try to ground the character into some sort of reality. Mm-hmm. And on late night, when you're looking for a female 
late night talk show host, there is no example. And so it started a really interesting conversation between Nisha, Mindy, Emma, and myself about what would a woman who has been part of this men's game, really, what would she look like? And so we started to talk about that. And we came up with this idea that almost as an FU to the other men, like she would have kind of done her own version of menswear to show these other men that like, yes, I'm playing your game. I'm winning your game. I'm part of your game. And I'm also sort of defining my role in your game. So that's where we started with the whole suiting concept. Mm -hmm. And to your question, what kind of cut did we prefer? It became a way for me to signal what was going on with her life. Like when we first meet her, as you mentioned, the ratings are dropping. She's sort of in this formulaic place in her life with her show where it's kind of just the same old, same old. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, we wanted her suits to feel like they might have been super inspired in, you know, in the late 90s, the early 2000s. Like it might have been really groundbreaking and forward thinking of her to be in, in menswear. But with women's wear sort of embracing suiting and doing much more interesting work, we wanted it to feel a little bit tired in the beginning. So, oh. you know, we were looking towards like really pegged little skinny legs or tight little blazers and things that felt like they once were really cool and groundbreaking, but maybe now not so much. So we kept it really traditional in the beginning. And then as, you know, she hires this new writer and she has this new energy around her, we wanted to match that. So my job became almost to become like two or three different stylists for her. Like mm -hmm. in my brain, when I'm dressing her in the beginning of the film, I'm like, I'm the stylist who's worked at this show for 20 years. I kind of phone it in. I know what works and I just keep buying it in whatever color they make it. And then I had to sort of train my brain to become the new stylist who gets hired for this new look of hers, right? Yeah. And so it's almost like the studio is bringing in this new stylist. So that's my, my new job is to be this person who brings in, as you mentioned, I'm bringing in Prada, Brandon Maxwell, Stella McCartney, Blaze Milano, all of these different brands which represent this new energy that she's trying out. And my third job was almost to become the stylist that she hired. So mm. it's more important to her that it's not just a presentation of who she is, but it's actually a genuine reflection of who she is, where she's at in her life. So it was really like almost having three jobs. And so, you know, wow. the cut of the suit changes dramatically throughout the course of the film to reflect where she's at. How comfortable is she in that suit? How comfortable is she in that room? And so the suiting kind of follows the storyline in that sense. That's awesome. So Catherine wore a lot of chunky accessories, and I was reading that her jewelry was either an art piece that was featured at the Met or pieces from Zara. And I noticed that she was wearing a lot of chunky necklaces. And if she wasn't wearing a chunky necklace, she had on earrings or a ring. What went into choosing the accessories for Catherine's character? So I've been really lucky in my career that I've worked with a lot of comedians. You know, I spent two seasons at Saturday Night Live. And this idea or the accessories were born out of a conversation that I had with Emma about how there is, there can be a darkness associated with comedians where, you know, some of the funniest, funniest people in the world are actually some of the saddest. And, you know, they use comedy as a tool to be seen and a, and a way to interact with the world that they might struggle with otherwise. And she felt like this character might have that same energy. And so in this back and forth with Emma, I was like, well, what if we use the jewelry as a way for her to sort of prove herself? So it was like a bit of a fuck you where she has the most incredible 
you know, museum quality jewelry. She doesn't have children. We don't really get into that in the movie. She has an incredible amount of money. So it was like, the jewelry should be a fuck you, where it's like, you know, her necklace is Egyptian, actual mm. Egyptian. Wow. Um, you know, her bracelets are from the 1870s. And, and it's kind of like her defense where, you know, she's going to wear something so that someone will say to her in an awkward conversation, like, oh, I love your necklace, because they don't really know what to say because she's famous. And, you know, there is also that level to things where it's like a lot of her interactions are with people who know, think they know her, but they have no idea who she really is. Right. So she ends up using her jewelry as a way to promote conversation or, or bring up a, a new topic or things like that. So we wanted the jewelry to feel really studied, to feel really careful, to feel like she had a lot to prove in the beginning. And then, as you mentioned, that got broken up. So with the same energy that I was talking about with a new stylist or things like that, I wanted to bring in, you know, who is the new young hotshot that brings her a Zara piece because they don't know better. But she actually is open to it now because she's trying new things. So I wanted the, the language involved in the jewelry to really reflect where she was, where it no longer became about proving that she was worth something, but it actually just became kind of fun for her to experiment with her accessories. Wow. The next thing that actually stood out to us was the Brandon Maxwell red jumpsuit that Catherine wore to the party. I was wondering how you went about selecting the red jumpsuit and also the guy that she was kind of messing around with was wearing a red suit too. Do you do things based off of contrasting characters? For sure. I mean, my job as a costume designer is to think of the whole picture. So that involves you know, the tiniest detail of the earring on the leading lady, but then also like, what does the party around her feel like? Is it warm? Is it friendly? Does it feel like one of those parties you can just go get lost into? Or does it feel like really clicky and isolated? So my job is to think about color in terms of storytelling throughout the whole film. Funnily enough, your podcast, The DM, (laughs) this is what I get the most amount of DMs about is this Brandon Maxwell red jumpsuit. Wow. (laughs) Um, I've had so many people ask me, like, if I can make them one. And I'm like, it's Brandon's, it's not mine. Yeah. You know, but so many people really responded to that red. And, you know, I think in every movie, there is like a costume that you think about, like, it signals a change in a character or it's their big moment. You know, some weddings are about movies. Some weddings are about birthdays or uh, galas or things like that. So we always knew that this costume really needed to signal a big shift in terms of where she was mentally. And I just kept saying to Nisha, because, we, you know, we were thinking, is it white? Is it sequin? Is it whatever? And I, I just kept thinking to Nisha, like, I think it's like hot red. Actually, Nisha's <laughs> office was right across from mine one day. And I like barged in. She was talking to someone else about something. And I'm like, Nisha, it's red. <laughs> <laughs> what is? And I was like, no, at the party, I think she needs to be red. Because usually in, the, in costume design, red signals like, you know, hot young starlet or a sex appeal. Or, you know, there's like that classic trope of that cherry red. And I was like, why can't we use that on a woman who is, you know, not 21? Like, why can't we use that on a woman who has that same feeling? It's just at a different point in her life. She knows that party is all about her. She knows that party is all about rebranding, announcing to the world that she's in a different place. So I was like, let's use that same trope of like the young leading lady in a gorgeous red dress. Let's like turn the volume up 
make her look like this power bitch in this red suit where she's finally kind of got a hold of herself. But it's not to get the attention of men or anything like that. It's it's more coming from within her out versus the reverse. Now, luckily, Nisha, I think, was either so surprised by my entrance to her office or <laughs> actually liked the idea. But she was like, great, let's look at it. Let's try it. And later on that day, I, you know, I was out collecting some other things and I found the jacket, which was Brandon's. And I was like, this is the color. It's so good. And then through researching it, I found that Brandon had actually made the jumpsuit as well. So I was like, period, the end. Like, <laughs> yeah. Cross our fingers that it fits, cross our mm-hmm. fingers that Emma likes it, but it all worked out. And I have to say, luckily, Emma was really game to play along with me and no one is more fun to fit than Emma. I mean, she is divine <laughs> and was really on that film, really, really willing to take some risks with me. And she got the red immediately. She felt great in the suit. You can't deny that it changed the way she carried herself. And so it totally worked. There's just certain moments where you, you feel really confident that you have the right costume for the right moment. And I have a little like side personal question. So I absolutely love the suit that had the all over zebra print. Can you yes. talk about who that was by, how you found it? Cause it was fabulous. Yeah. So that's a personal favorite of mine. The blazer is actually made by Blaze Milano, who I'm a super fan of. I loved it because they have this adorable detail on the pockets. They're sort of like an upside down U shape, which I believe is actually pulled from 1940s menswear. So I just love that there was that back and forth that kind of played into the conversation that we were having across the film in general. But then it had these really playful zebras on it. And, you know, there's a really famous wallpaper that has zebras on it. I don't know if you've ever seen, kind of reminded me of that. And I love that it was done in this, these cool creams. And then in my like collection of jewelry that I had accrued for the movie, I had all of these Kenneth J. Lane zebra bracelets. Mm-hmm. And no one loves a theme more than I do. So <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm seeing like an all white look with the blazer, with the, the stacked zebra bangles and things like that. And she wears it in a moment in the film where you can tell like she's kind of having a lot more fun with, with her career, actually. I mean, she's like, it's not just that she's reading jokes from cue cards. Like she's actually interacting with her audience and her band. And um, I don't know that it actually made it into the final cut of the movie, but we had this, these few takes on the set where the band was sort of like just live playing jazz and Emma started dancing with them. And it was this cool back and forth that they were kind of giving each other. And again, it was that moment where it's like, yeah, zebras, like playful, (laughs) stupid, funny, charming. Like it's the, it's the right energy. And I also have a thing about white. I use white in a lot of my work for really significant moments Mm -hmm. because I feel like it's really clean and young and open. Like I just, I really like that color a lot in terms of storytelling. So I don't know, it just felt really good to have have some fun with her clothes. And, you know, it's kind of serious. The blazer in general as an idea is kind of a serious thing. But I love that if you put some playful elements into it, it kind of starts to take itself less seriously. Yeah, well, I thought it was magical and bravo because that piece, it stood out and made me sit up straight when I first saw it. Thank you. Oh, wow. 
<laughs> so the next character we're going to talk about is Molly Patel. And Molly Patel is played by Mindy Kaling. Molly is an Indian American writer who works for Catherine Newberry. She is a staff member of The Tonight with Catherine Newberry. She's also dubbed by Catherine as number eight. <laughs> she wore a lot of dresses and she wore a lot of blues in the beginning. And then she started wearing like plaids and separates, like Argyle. And I was curious, actually, did you purposefully dress Molly in things that showcased her Indian culture? Well, I think the the first thing to answer really is that Mindy has such a star quality that it's hard to get her to a place where she doesn't seem like the star, you know? And yeah. so she had written herself this role, which was sort of a quiet woman who, you know, really wanted a, a big, powerful career, but didn't have one and was coming from the suburbs, like coming to the city for the first time. And so, you know, thanks to Salvador Perez's work with Mindy on the Mindy Project, like, mm. we, you know, we've gotten so used to Mindy in like, gorgeous designer colors and, you know, sequined skirts and things like that. And she's such a fashion plate. So it was interesting for Mindy and I to talk about, like, how do we take you completely out of that, where you seem like this woman who has seen the world, you know your designers, you know you know what works for you. Like, how do we sort of frumpify you in the beginning of the movie and let you feel like someone who is experiencing fashion for the first time, experiencing a city for the first time? So it was an interesting journey to take with Mindy to sort of get her down to a really pedestrian place. Because <laughs> that's it's the crazy thing about Mindy. Like, she just doesn't go there very naturally. Like, you could put a hoodie on her and it's still, like, you kind of need to work to get to that really boring place with her. Like, she's, she just has a lot of life and vibrance to her. Yeah. So in the beginning, it's these sort of, like, dull, muted, conservative, kind of uninteresting clothes. And then as she learns the world, she starts to see what Catherine is wearing. Like in my, I'm a big backstory person for all my mm -hmm. characters. So in my mind, you know, her character is kind of really obsessed with Catherine Newberry. So in my mind, there would be racks of clothes from the stylist in the hallway. And I felt like Molly's character might be like touching them and looking to see who makes what and why. So it's kind of like she's learning a little bit about style from these people and just being around them. Catherine's vibe is very preppy, kind of like in a, that Brooks Brothers-y way of, you know, using elements like Argyle and uh, Seersucker and things that feel very old world, frankly, white, that felt kind of like a bit of a protection, a little bit of like a forced identity. So I thought well, that might be really interesting to watch a young Indian woman's version of that, like, you know, using that as a way, uh, as a style to kind of blend in with this new community of people that she's literally the only person of color in that office. Like, mm -hmm. what is that? What does her style look like when she starts to adopt certain elements of it and actually looks a lot better than they did? You know, like, I, I just kind of wanted to mess with that alchemy a little bit. Um, so her next question, you kind of already answered because we were going to ask about like how it was working directly with Mindy or like, did you work directly with her? When you do... I'm just going to throw this in, but when you do work with someone that has, like, written the screenplay or, like, is, like, a producer or whatever, how much say, or, like, are you guys, like, 50-50? Are you guys throw ideas off of, off of each other? How does that process work? So this whole 
film came about because while we were shooting Ocean's 8, Mindy was actually writing Late Night in her trailer. Oh, cool. Mindy works like, you know, 23 hours a day. So, you know, I would come in to do fittings with Mindy and she'd be there on the laptop and, and she's like a super creative woman. So sometimes in the fittings, she would be talking out ideas and things like that. So it was this very natural conversation that started to evolve where she, you know, she'd be thinking about the character. And so she'd be saying to me in a fitting, I had no idea that this, she was writing the script, but she would say to me in a fitting, like, hey, who do you think some really good designers are for like women's suits? And so, you know, in the fitting, we're talking and I'm thinking, okay, Mindy wants some suits. So I'm like talking to her about that. And then as the conversation evolved, she started talking to me about this character that she was writing, this female late night talk show host. And she wanted it to be, she had written the role for Emma Thompson, who I had worked with previously. So I was able to bring some of what I knew about Emma into the conversation with Mindy about the character and things like that. So it was this very natural, organic development where we started talking about the character a little bit. So by the time I got the script and I was hired on it, I felt like I, I had a significant insight into what Mindy wanted from the character and the story. And then Mindy just loves costume design so much. Like she's a real supporter of our entire industry and us as artists. So she really likes things like, so in her fittings, I would sneak in, we make boards that show all of our fitting photos and the progression and stuff. So I would bring it in to show Mindy, like, here's where we're at. What do you think? And, and I also just really value her opinion on costume design because she approaches it from the same storytelling place that I do. But she also loves clothes. So it's really fun to have conversations with people like that. So I'd bring them in and we would talk about things. I would get her feedback, Nisha's feedback. I would understand what Emma wanted from certain things. So it was a really, it was a really nice place that kind of felt creative in all areas. Like you could throw things out to all three of those women and get different reactions. And it would help me understand where we needed to go. I love it. So we saw some of the, I think it was the Hollywood Reporter did an article where they had beautiful designer fastest and sketches. Do you also draw some of your own ideas? I think those are mine that you saw. Oh, period. Beautiful work. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I thought that it was the designers. I, well, I love your sketches. They were so eye-catching in that article. I was like, oh my goodness. It's interesting, like I'll do, even when, I, when I'm on a film that's much more styled versus built, you know, I'll sketch when I build, but I also sketch when I have styled a look because I feel like what I do is character design and costume design. And so, yes, it's a skirt that, another, that a fashion designer made with a jacket that a fashion designer made, but that doesn't create a character. That's what I do. So I do costume sketches for looks that I've pulled together because it's, you know, I grew up being a fan of Hollywood costume design or designers. I love old school sketches because it, I don't know, it just like takes me back to this place where movies were, just the idea of movie making was so romantic and, you know, you'd have these beautiful sketches and things. So just for my own creative process, when I've styled a look, it's almost like my letting it go. Like I'll draw it and I'll illustrate it. And it's a way of kind of like saying goodbye to that idea and that character. And then it's out into the world. So I've done sketches for hustlers with things like that. But then also I'll do sketches when I'm with a tailor and have the fabric and things like that. Because it's also, for me, it's the same thing. I'm still trying to communicate an idea to people who haven't seen it yet. Cool. 
Yeah, so we're going to get into our official Q&A portion, starting with the first question. What's been the most challenging part of the job that you found? Costume design in general? Yes. The most challenging. Well, honestly, every movie you make is its own thing. Like, you know, there's the movie you read, there's the movie you make, and then there's the movie you watch. What I do is the movie that you make. They're all hard in some way. It's either, you know, you don't have the budget you need, the cast is challenging, the timeline is challenging, you don't have enough crew. I mean, there's all different versions of obstacles. They're not all the same. So I don't know, it's, it's hard to identify just what's the most challenging thing. But I think if people had a real glimpse into how quickly we have to make decisions and how quickly mm-hmm. we have to produce they would be pretty surprised. I I often joke that if people who made movies worked in government, it'd be a different world. We have to be super clear about our decisions. We have to be really excellent in terms of our communication. You know, we're talking about abstract ideas and, and concepts, and then we make them real, and then they're on a camera. And if you have to pivot or if you have to make a change, you have to be willing to kind of do it in the moment, right then and there, and stand by those choices. So I would love to see a politician do that kind of work <laughs> because yes. I think that it could be a different world. But it's, you know, it's really challenging to be that engaged also with the hours that we work. People can have a really productive three hours, but to have a really productive 12 hours, 14 okay. hours, 16 yeah. hours, that's a real challenge, but that's how movies are made. So you really have to keep up with that pace or you won't last. Cool. Wow. So we already talked about the research process that goes into a film. I was wondering how much time do you have before recording or before the filming of the actual project? I will say it feels like it gets shorter every time. Like, you know, just in the way that we make movies now, it just feels like we're producing so much faster. I always say that it feels like you have four weeks less than you need. And that could be if you have a, you know, if you have six months prep or if you have two weeks prep, it always feels like that. But I would say that it's normal for me to have between six to 12 weeks prep, depending on the project. But yeah, it's, it's never enough. I mean, I'm always on my computer in bed, still trying to figure things out. Or I don't know, sometimes the inspiration will hit at weird times too. So it's like, I'll be trying to do something else, but I can't stop thinking about an idea or an image really captures me for a while and I lose myself in a whole black hole of research. So you get a, a few weeks, but it's, I don't know, it's not like I punch in and I punch out on it. Like mm-hmm. once I've read a script and I'm, I'm attached to do it, I'm really, I just throw myself in, into it for as much time as I possibly, you know, am alive and awake until we start shooting. And I'm curious, what's something you haven't yet done that you'd like to do in the field? I would really like to do something that's set in the future because I just personally, visually, I'm really sick of seeing the future depicted as this like boring, military, minimal thing. I just don't Mm -hmm. feel like that's what the future is going to look like. I don't think that's particularly inspired or cool anymore. So I would really like to do something set in the future that shows human beings the way I think they are, which is expressive, colorful, interesting, vibrant souls, not homogenous, gray, uniform things. I don't think that's who we are as people. Yeah. Yeah. 
Overall, what are some of your favorite costumes that you have been inspired by through film and television? I really love costumes. Like, you know, and it's not just, um, sometimes I think that people, you know, the, the greater world thinks that, like, when you think costume design, you think like Marie Antoinette, which I love. I mean, I think that's really super fun. But I also like some of the more quiet work in movies. Like, I know everyone was obsessed with the coats from The Undoing, but I just, I really loved that costume design. I thought that was really interesting, engaging work. I think forever, one of my favorite dresses of all time is the dress from All About Eve. I just think it's like this iconic idea that's come about and I think has been referenced so many times. Like, I really love when costume design is able to become a reference for other things in other movies. Yeah, I, my interests are really varied too. Like I, I don't watch a ton of things. Like I'm much more of an image person than a moving image person. But I do think, like I thought Michelle Clapton's work on Game of Thrones was so interesting because it was this like historical future combination and she was able to create cultures we've never seen before. So I think that work was really interesting. I also thought the costume design that I saw from Euphoria was really smart, intelligent work. So, you know, my interests are kind of spread, but I don't know. I just, I really like when people take risks with their costume design. It's like, why go through all the work to just do something that kind of like delivers what the script calls for, like add to the conversation, bring a lot to the director. If they want to edit you, that's great. That's literally, that's the job is to kind of edit what's being brought to them mm -hmm. and keep the film cohesive. But I feel like if you're, if you are not trying to bring a lot to the project, I don't know, I just feel like you missed the mark. So I'm excited by costume designers who I feel really contribute to the storytelling and elevate the material. Lovely answer. So as you know, we reviewed Hustlers in episode six of the show, and you worked with a lot of stars on that, including Jennifer Lopez. And we were curious, did you collaborate directly with her on Hustlers? Of course. Yeah. She's very, very involved in everything that she does, which amazes me because she does so much. She is not a person who phones anything in. She's very aware of her choices, what she's doing, the character that she's building. We completely collaborated on all of her costumes. We would lay out outfits on her floor, looking at them, understanding how she wanted to feel in a scene. And she's somebody, like, she's really live in her creation. Like, she has ideas right up to the last minute and they're really good ideas. So like, it's not over till it's over with Jen. So you, you really got to keep up with her because she does, she has energy like you wouldn't believe. I don't know. I just think she's such an intelligent actor. I know that she's many things, but I think if is a really intelligent actor and I like her, we're actually, we're working together right now, but oh, that's amazing. Um, I like her a lot. Yeah, I, I just have to say that first dance sequence, um, I don't know that in a film I've ever been so captivated by a costume like that. And it wasn't her lack of clothing that had me feeling that way. I just was like, look at the beads and how thin these straps are and it's somehow staying together. I'll tell you the, the story. And it's... Again, I, I mentioned that there's always a costume in every project where you're like, what is that going to be? Because mm -hmm. that says, it's literally character defining, right? So Laureen, the director of Hustlers, and I talked about that moment at length, and we talked about what it needed to signal, how it needed to make the audience feel, how it needed to make the other characters feel. 
how it needed to make Jennifer feel. And so there were versions of it that were everything. There was, you know, a purple concept at one point, and there was all these other ideas. And I just kept feeling like after watching the training that she was doing and, and looking at the, the actual pole dance that had been choreographed and the work that she had put into it, I just kept feeling like sometimes the answer is less. I feel like sometimes what, just creatively when I'm floundering, like I think everybody has the tendency to just keep throwing ideas. And I think sometimes for me, the best process is to reverse it and start taking ideas away to see like what feels right about it as you remove ideas. And sometimes like you need to keep little kernels of what you're talking about still in the process. But with that particular costume, it just felt like less kept being the right answer. I was like, you know, this woman has gotten herself into a shape in which she has like tiny muscle groups that I don't know that I've seen <laughs> on a human before. Like, we deserve to appreciate the work that she's put into this performance. And, you know, you work with real pole dancers and you see like the tiny little bruises that they have from this work. It's, it's really athletic and things. And so I kept coming back. There was just one image of Jennifer, I think from 2007 or 2008, I can't remember. But she had a ton of silver bangles on and these big silver earrings. And so I was like, what I'm attracted to about this image in particular is that use of silver and the, the amount of silver. Mm -hmm. So what if that's all the idea is? Just enough silver to keep me interested. Okay. And so that's sort of where that idea was spawned from. You know, we looked at a million different things and we ended up needing to create it just because I was like really unsatisfied with so many of the other things. And I joked with Jennifer in that fitting because it was like it was like an Edward Scissorhands fitting where you just keep removing straps and things. And <laughs> we were to a point that it was like everything here serves a function. There's nothing here that doesn't either keep this on or cover, which is the point. And we got mm -hmm. it. I, I hope anyway, I feel really satisfied with that costume. But I feel like we got it to a point where it just delivered. It didn't distract. It didn't overwhelm. It just delivered. And I really feel like that's what that costume needed to do. Oh, my gosh. Cinematically, all I kept thinking was commitment. I was like, look at the commitment going on in this. It was brilliant. Thank you. So the last question is, what does the future hold for Mitchell Travers? Where can people find you? What is your future looking like? Well, I'm excited <laughs> about my future. It's been a strange, very strange year. I have uh, a movie called In the Heights, which will come out soon, I think. Maybe it's summer, which I'm really passionate about. I still can't believe that I got to do that movie. You know, I, I saw it in January mm -hmm. and wept, just absolutely wept, because it's such a beautiful story about community. I had no idea obviously, that the world would really change and the idea of community would change so much. So I think by the time audiences are able to see In the Heights, it's really going to remind us that like we need each other. I feel like this year has really proven that to us. Like we're, we're better in groups where we, even, the, you know, I, I miss hating the way someone's dressed. Like I love <laughs> feeling that. And I, I can't wait to get back to a point where I feel like I'm a part of my community and I can have opinions about strangers and things like that. So I'm, I'm very proud of that work and I'm very excited about some of the conversations I hope that that movie inspires. Really looking forward to that. I also have a movie called The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which is uh, Jessica Chastain plays Tammy Faye Baker. Ooh. 
and we, we look at her life from the 60s to about the early 2000s. You can imagine if you know anything about Tammy Faye Baker, there are some insane looks in that movie. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm really excited to see that. And then I'm currently working on a project, which it's my, I've never done a rom-com. I got really excited about the idea to do a rom-com. And this movie is called Shotgun Wedding. It's a, a wedding film with Jennifer Lopez Ooh, uh, set in the Philippines. And I don't think I can say a ton about it. <laughs> <laughs> I just felt really like, you know, what kind of a movie are people going to want to see soon? And I just felt like, you know, escapism, romance, travel, action, like these are all things we've been so unable to do for a year now. So I felt really excited about the chance to do something like that. I think that's all I can say about it right now. But Cool. And where can yeah. we follow you? Where can our listeners keep up with you? I'm on Instagram probably too much. I really like it. <laughs> I told you I was image-based, so I really like that. I'm just my name, Mitchell Travers, with little underscores before and after. And you can find me there. I do check my DMs. I think that's how we got connected, in fact. You guys yes. attacked me. Yeah. And I was like, I, I truly could not believe that you studied Hustlers as much as you had and you, you're real fans of the work, of costume design. So, yes. I don't know, I, got, I was very charmed by your DM and very excited <laughs> about the fact that I got to take up a little space in your life. It was very sweet of you both. Thank you Thank so you. much. Yes. We appreciate your time more than you probably know. Like this is, this is wonderful and it's been great chatting with you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you both. All right. Bye. 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 <laughs> and that wraps up season two, episode one of the DM where we discussed the film late night and had the pleasure of interviewing costume designer, Mitchell Travers. We really appreciate Mitchell taking the time out to talk to us on the DM, and we really had a great time chatting with you. And thank you so much for joining us in another episode of the DM with Audrey Brienne and Tyree, where we reviewed the film Late Night. You'll find links to Late Night's homepage and streaming services in the description box below. A special thank you to Nearby Sound for our theme song. If you enjoyed the show, please introduce a friend to our work and tell them to subscribe and make sure that you subscribe as well. Follow us on the DM.net or on Instagram at Audrey Brienne and at Tyree Style. The DM is produced by Joe Passarelli, Audrey Brienne, and Tyree.